Welcome to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Hello and welcome to the Landwards podcast. I'm your host, Andy Newbold, um, editor of Landwards, and I'm joined today by none other than Mr. Graham Higginson, who is a senior lecturer at Harper Adams University. Um, he'll correct me if I'm wrong now, but anyway, hello, Graham. Hello, Andy. And um, you are well, correct. <laughs> That was a great stab in the dark of a guess, yes. Once again, flying by the seat of our pants on a Friday afternoon when we're recording this. Um, anyway, Graham, thanks very much for taking the time today. Um, we're going to talk um, talk about career and training and education and steps into and through an ag engineering career. So let's start from the top. Uh, Graham, tell us a little bit. It sounds a bit like blind date, doesn't it? This. What's your, <laughs> na- what's your name, love, and where do you come from? Um, Graham... <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah, right. Um, so I was brought up on a, a mixed farm in West Lancashire, sort of just about three miles inshore from Blackpool, farming on uh, Black Moss. Uh, from an early age, I was involved in that service in repair, maintenance, and manufacturing and modification of farms equipment. Um, Dad undertook mo- as much as he possibly could. Very rarely do we have a dealer's van in the yard. Um, so that inspired me to, to uh, undertake a national diploma in engineering at uh, what was uh, Blackpool Tech, which I believe now is Blackpool and Found College. And then that progressed me through onto a higher national diploma at Rittle College. So obviously, um, back in the news now as a training centre for uh, CNH or Case New Holland, uh, apprentices are going back there later in the year in 2022. Um, whilst at Rittle, then, I, I got introduced to the Institution of Agricultural Engineers whilst I was there in my first year, and uh, I kind of immediately saw the benefits of those, those technical meetings. At the time, we were venturing over to what was Ford Tractor um, Training Centre at Boreham House. Um, that was at Basildon, they, was it? No, that was, was at Boreham. Boreham, sorry. On the outskirts, on the outskirts of Chelmsford. Right. Um they closed that and took training down to Basildon and then the IAGE meetings then were being held at Rittle College. So it was right on the doorstep. So we didn't actually have to travel very far at all. Then. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so that sort of introduced me to uh, the networking opportunities with the, in the industry professionals, especially as um, what was then the Ford tractor plant just down the road, as they say, at Basildon. Obviously, that's the, the case New Holland. CNH plant down there, still at Basildon. So they're still building tractors in Britain. So that's good. Um, so following graduation there from Rittle, then I, I served on many local and national IAGRE Institution of Engineering committees. So certainly in the, the local branch there in Hearts and Essex. And then um, having left college, then I went to work for a machinery dealer. Um, and also one of those dealers was the manufacturer and the importer of trials plot equipment. So you may see around the countryside some little yellow, blue, green combines and seed drills and the stuff um, on the little trial plots in the middle of fields as you're driving around the countryside, especially in the eastern counties. Um, and there's a few about in the western counties and Wales, but in primarily we're in the west eastern counties there. Um, after about six years, I suppose, as a tech service technician, traveling the whole of the UK, looking after these machines, um, 
I decided I was going to try my hand at, at teaching. So uh, Mayaska College was just down the road from where I was brought up from the farm there. But I uh, went to the local land based college here in Shropshire. Um, so working initially in those. So was that, was that Walford? Was that Walford? Yeah, yeah that was Walford yep. College then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, working with some full time students who wanted a, a general engineering kind of program. I was working with the apprentices at the level two and level three apprentices who were working in the local dealers around the area. So, um, so we're working with all sorts of those New Holland, there was McCormick, there was Case IH as they were. Um, got some Massey Ferguson's on plot on with patch and then we had um, a couple of apprentices actually who were in implement dealers and, and the, 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 the dealership owner he had taken the decision not to not to have anything with an engine on it he wanted to stuff to go on the front and the back so he, he saw mm. more more business in that than he did with anything with an engine on it so, uh, so that was good great introduction to uh, to the territory around uh, Shropshire and not being a native, so that was good. Um, and then, I don't know, I had, uh, when we have been, mid, early 2010s, I, I took a two year hiatus working in the automotive uh, training and education. Uh, was that like, was that like a, ga a gap two year then, Graham? Well, it was a bit like a gap <laughs> two <Sabbatical>. years. <laughs> a sabbatical two years, yeah, and it was actually, it was actually quite good, great because um, in the FE colleges so at, at Walford and Rees Heath, we had um, automotive training courses as well for apprentices and full-time students. And seeing the technology transfer between the two industries was, was even more apparent as I went to work wholly immersed in the automotive industry. Um, and that Technology now is coming through into the ag industry, um, sort of certainly, and that would have been, say, 2011 to 2013, something mm. like that. Um, hybrids were just about on the scene, I suppose, becoming mainstream in the automotive industry, whereas we're now seeing that electrification coming through um, hybrid and battery electric vehicles at the time now coming through into agricultural engineering. So that's good, seeing some of that technology coming the other yeah. way. Um, and I remember going to one presentation one evening, uh, a chap, I got involved in the Institute of the Motor Industry because um, they provided a level one introductory course into engineering. And that was sort of recognized by the agricultural engineering industry, trade bodies as being a way into the industry as well. And I went to one of their meetings one evening and there's this gentleman there from uh, Dame LeBend telling us all about this new variable transmission, this constantly variable transmission that was a belt running between two adjustable sheaves on a pulley system. I was like, oh, we've seen that before I think many I, years I think ago. I know a... what one of those is on a massive combine. <laughs> I've seen combine. that before on combine harvesters. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it suddenly becomes new tech for something that's been many years old in, in different industries. So that was great. So, yeah, as, uh, as you mentioned, I'm at... Uh, the esteemed position of a senior lecturer in agricultural engineering here at Harper Adams. Um, so I returned here in 2013. Um, 
and just recently I've taken over the role of placement manager for the engineering department. So um, all degrees here at Harper have a mandatory placement year. So two years in university, go out for a year to apply some of that learning in the workplace and then come back for the final year or two, depending on whether you're a bachelor's student or a master's student. Um, and interesting seeing how people have seen and developed and it's are uh, sometimes walking around shows and they're like, I developed that as they're pointing to some component <laughs> on the machine somewhere. It's, um, not, it's not the belt between the two sheaves, is it? No, <laughs> no, not anymore. They've moved to something else, <laughs> like a bracket hole in an axle or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just, just tell me, going, going back to placement students, give me a flavour. Um, where have you got placement students at the moment within the engineering department? So in the engineering department, we've got students on placement at Class UK in the service department there and marketing departments. We've got people at Case New Holland down at Basildon, either in the plant, helping put machines and tractors and things together, and also in field tests. So yeah. even though the majority of the product is sort of designed and developed, is designed in Italy and Belgium, we actually do a lot of field tests still in the UK. So we've got students out on field tests with them. We've got students on placement at uh, Laley UK. So milking machines, full wood, milking machines. Um, we've got people on placement at uh, just down the road from you, Andy, actually, at uh, in Bentham. So they had their first placement student 18 months ago. They are a great firm, our Atkinson Voss. Yeah, so uh, he was the first placement student ever, as I say, 18 months ago. And like most students, they come back with a job offer and he's taken their offer of a job there at Atkinson Voss. Good for him. Uh, students placement at Grimmy, UK. And also what they call their solutions. So if somebody wants a bespoke harvester or something like that, and we had a student a couple of years ago, his project was converting a self-propelled potato harvester into a self-propelled carrot harvester. So that was his £1.5 million project. No pressure. Uh, no, no pressure. pressure. No, got to no get it pressure. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. We'll just talk about chucking you in at the deep end. That's really good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm convinced that the Institution of Ag Engineers helped certainly secure at least one, if not two, of these, of these teaching roles that yeah. I currently have. So, yeah, that's brilliant. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so given you have got a considerable range of experience of routes into getting an agricultural engineering education or using it as a stepping stone on within one's respective career. Shall we um, do you have a chat about options open to people as routes into the industry? Let's talk about, you know, apprenticeships and vocational training, you know, and as well as the further education route, we can talk about higher education as well. And other, you know, a lot of people shift sideways into ag engineering mm. or uh, don't think they're ag engineers, but then find when they look at what they're doing, they are. So should we, let's have a bit of a conversation about that, Graham. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let you start. Yeah. So we'll start with the apprenticeships, I suppose, for a start. So um, many uh, UK brands have got, sort of like a national apprenticeship scheme, so the likes of Class UK, 
um, CNH, Case New Holland, Agco. So they're covering the, the brands like the, the Massa Ferguson, the Challenger, Fent and Valtra here in the UK. Um, talking to them, one of their trainers actually three or four weeks ago now, they were saying that they've, they've got a training centre at sort of like four points around the UK. So you don't have to travel to the other end of the country to go to one of their training centres. Um, and then also again, Kubota got a national training centre along with John Deere. Um, and not to forget those that aren't necessarily aligned to some of those aligned to some of those big um, manufacturers. Don't forget that you've got good local engineering colleges for those that aren't aligned to those major brands. So you've still got quite a good selection of uh, land-based engineering colleges around the UK that can offer apprenticeships in agricultural engineering in that service industry. Um, if apprenticeships aren't necessarily for you, then obviously we've got a route in through further education, full-time level two and level three courses, again, at most of those local centres that are providing the apprenticeships, um, because apprenticeships are generally built around full-time courses or vice versa. Uh, again, some of those will lead into two to three year courses, depending on what, where you start. It might even be three or four years. Um, not everybody enjoys school, but they enjoy the, 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 the more of a college setting. Um, and again, those are leading to employment in agricultural engineering. Um, and some of those full-time FE courses also have placement elements as well to get those students to appreciate the working world of, of agricultural engineering and the machinery and the operations and the systems in the dealership and also with their customers as well. So not forgetting all our all the technicians out there, service engineers, they are the face of the brand, they're the face of the dealer helping to keep them yep. machines supported as well. So it's a lot of that customer service skill as much as the technical skill for those. Uh, move thinking about then you've identified that maybe you want a degree rather than staying at that sort of FE level. So we get many students here at Harper Adams who have done the equivalent of the national diploma, extended diploma at the college and come here to Harper Adams and, and want to do the degree in much the same way as we get students coming who have done the A-level physics. They may have done a small BTEC qualification as well to support some of those A-levels um, don't forget, you, many people think that you actually need physics and maths at A-level to get into a university to do, to do a degree. And we're one of the few around the country that we can teach you the maths skill. We're more about the way your brain works and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so again, more about leading through the science behind those systems and the design of those agricultural machines. Uh, and I say, men, open to those who want to progress from the level three course at college. We've also had students who've done a level three apprenticeship, stayed at work for four or five years and realised there's more to life than crawling around underneath combines and balers and that sort of thing. So they want to go and do the other side of the business. Um, so personally, I did that vocational route. So I did that national diploma in a general engineering course, and then I went moved into a higher education uh, whilst I was at uh, Rittle College. So I went from near Blackpool to uh, to Essex. So I got just about as far away from home as I could possibly get. 
Um, and also a lot of engineers now working within the big brands and that design function are also wanting some of that professional registration as well. So personally, I, through my high national diploma that I did at the time, I've, I'm registered with the engineering council as a professional engineer at incorporated engineering level. Um, so bachelor's of engineering will get you incorporated engineer and master's uh, potentially is on the way then getting to your chartered engineer if that is what you wish as well. So, And not forgetting, of course, that many people will uh, side shift into allied industries because a lot of the skills and the attributes and behaviours of agricultural engineers uh, will side shift into allied industries such as construction machinery, uh, forestry machinery, the vehicles that go off road and do specialist tasks that are a different specialist task than you would expect a tractor or a, a telehandler to do on a farm in an agricultural setting along with the machinery there. Not forgetting though, so we've got um, agricultural engineers working in the likes of the, the true automotive sector, um, defence industry uh, and marine engineering manufacturing as well. So our skills are in great demand. I think engineers are full stop and yeah. there's a multi-purpose multi-purpose maybe necessarily the right word but certainly people who have got that um, appreciation of how things work as well as just the science and the knowledge and the understanding of, of, of that behind it so it's it's the application of that science in the workplace is important as yeah. much as the degree. so I think that's where the, the placement helps there well, and you're also, you know, you come out the other end and you're head and shoulders above anybody else looking for a job because you've already got a year of industry experience under your belt. Yeah, and, and again, if you're looking for that professional registration, that industrial placement year does count as part of that mm. um, professional experience to go for your incorporated or your um, chartered engineer. I mean, I many, many, many years ago did a sandwich degree at Harper Adams and it, you know, it, it, it stands you in good stead when you can talk about what you've done and you can show some show some knowledge and some nows. Um, yeah, I think it helps with that, sort of being able to talk the language of the customer. Yeah. Um, uh, I mustn't, it, mustn't, mustn't forget um, the people who are not what you would classify as your the background of a traditional agricultural engineer who maybe brought like myself brought up on a farm and hasn't had the opportunity to go back to the farm we are seeing a lot more now coming from an urban or a, a semi-urban background to come and study agricultural engineering they've realized that actually we still need to eat um there's those labor shortages in the fields for picking the, the fruit and vegetables etc um so they're wanting to to engineer to change the world yeah no, and it's good, and it's a great motivation as well. Um, Graham, shall we shall we move on? Do you want to talk um, and give us give us your personal perspectives on what agricultural engineering has done for you and how your careers progress? Uh, that's that's a lifetime's worth of, of reflection. As engineers, are not very good at reflection. Uh, so sort of agriculture. I'm not sure we've got that amount of time, but carry on. <laughs> Ag engineering and the Institution of Agricultural Engineers certainly introduced me to a very varied and interesting people and groups um, across the country. As I say, I've been down into Essex. I'm now in Shropshire for the last nearly half of my life. Um, 
And through those branch meetings and national events and committees, I've met some very interesting people across the UK. Um, I've been able to travel throughout the UK doing what engineers do best, and that's problem solving and changing the world. Um, certainly, when I was in the, uh, the trial plot industry, we were approached by a multinational um, agrochemical company that were having problems with uh, application of what effectively were going to become new sprays into the agricultural market. So they go through a very rigorous development and testing program. So they were wanting some solutions to try and mechanize the application of these new sprays onto their trial plots rather than relying on a person with a, a backpack sprayer and being exposed to exposed to any potential problems with that spray drift. So yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, afforded to me via the institution, it certainly brought me into contact with people and technologies that have permitted me to develop professionally again. So I've um, gone for and achieved uh, incorporated engineer through the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. And more recently, um, I was the dubious pleasure of being the first registrant through the Institution of Agricultural Engineers for registered environmental practitioner through the Society of the Environment. So even though I don't work directly with the environment and ecology and that sort of thing, but how are we as engineers, what are we, what are we doing to support the environment and, and, and that sort of thing, sort of trying to reduce... It's, it's, it's a very important, you know, it should be a very important part of our of our decision making process should sustainability. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so so the fact that you might say, well, I'm not a I'm not actively working as an, envi as a, an environmentalist, as an engineer. It's got to be in your, in, in, your, in your list of criteria to consider with decision making, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. And it's certainly being brought home now um, with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and work here at Harper Adams where and, and many other universities are embedding those SDGs into our into our curriculum. So it's it's getting it more exposure to the into the engineering uh, curriculum as well. Sort of we we, we might have a, a desire to plate everything in gold or something like that because it gives brilliant electrical conductivity, but can we actually afford to mine all that gold and process it? Can we use something else instead? So, yeah. Um, again, advocacy for professional registration and professionalism has seen me support many students over the years to, uh, to gain that engineering council registration. So probably about four years ago now, um, helped our first student get the first registration level, which is engineering technician with the engineering council. Um, get that whilst they were still a student here at Harper Adams and we've, we've had a few of those through the, through the system now. Um, the Institution of Agri Engineers then has also helped me maintain my current knowledge and keep contacts within the wider industries and the allied industries, so not forgetting our construction and forestry uh, and that. So get out and about, get talking to people um, and it's just the application of of what we know as agricultural engineers into different different things. So um, thinking about some recent visits I've had, we were, I've been at um, an aluminium foundry where they're making engine components for some prestige 
vehicle manufacturers in Europe, but it's, it's looking at, well, what can we do uh, from a casting point of view that you can't do through fabrication? So it's making better use and, and getting better strength in, in componentry through, through casting rather than fabricated welded assemblies. Um, and then also looking at, well, we use fans quite a bit on certain combine harvesters for cleaning the chaff from the grain, etc. So how can we use um, fans for other activities? So I'm sure we've all been stuck behind a road sweeper of some sort and there's plenty of applications on there where an agricultural engineer will be quite happy at home thinking about the maneuver, the, the, the movement of, of air and, and things entrained into it because we use quite a lot of pneumatic conveying systems certainly on dairy farms and, and, and the like, and some arable farms for moving grain around the, the farm infrastructure as well. So on a personal level, local committees at national and also level there for national and local committees, develop those network industry contacts. And certainly it hit, it hit home with me probably about four years ago went to a went to the show that is for the professional grounds care so obviously that's a, a great application there for, for agricultural engineers as well and literally within 10 steps through the door we'd seen four people that i knew and it was like how do you know all these people graham and it's like it's <laughs> such a small world that you'll you scratch one hang around long enough Hang well, around long enough, and sooner or later, <laughs> something like this has to happen. Yeah, just keep that's on it. keeping on. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to get into this sort of, you know, almost the and finally territory now. <laughs> um, but what I'm going to say, give us your take on where you think agricultural engineering is going, given your career today and what what you've experienced and the change you've experienced. Yeah. So. Looking, I mentioned earlier about battery electric vehicles and hybrid, and that is certainly on the horizon now. Recently in the, in the agricultural engineering press, we have seen people developing battery electric vehicles, people also now developing uh, autonomous vehicles, and everybody will have probably heard of the hands-free hectare project that ran here at Harper probably five or six years ago. Now time seems to move on so fast. Um, so where they managed to effectively plant, tend and harvest uh, a barley crop without anybody actually standing in the hectare of soil that they grew that, that, uh, that crop in. So, yeah, autonomy, extensive autonomy is on the horizon. Certainly in the dairy industry, autonomy has been around for 20 years or so. They've had robotic milking machines. Um, there are machines out there already that are um, collecting cow dung and, and moving it to storage points in the animal houses. Um, automatic robotic feeders. Uh, so I think the, the broad acre arable sector, I think, has probably got a lot to learn from those dairy farmers. Um, and yes, we see a lot of drones for image work. Um, but there's also the potential for uh, for drones for doing spot treatment of weeds and disease pressures in fields. So if you're making hay for horses or animals, etc., the last thing you want is thistles and docks and that sort of thing in there. So machines that can actually 
autonomously identify uh, the dock or the thistle or the nettle growing in your grass and it will just literally spot treat that plant and then fly mm. across the rest of the field and you can just literally leave it just remember that you need to change the battery and top up the, the, the chemical mm. container um, going back to livestock again we've got some colleagues who are working with a local sheep farmer um, where in Australia uh, and New Zealand they're using drones to drive sheep as you would use a sheep yep. dog to drive sheep they're actually using it to attract the sheep so they're a bit like Pavlov's dogs looking at behavioural so uh, presumably the drone goes with drones, goes goes with a plastic bag full of cake and shakes it does it well at which point they hunt him down <laughs> <laughs> kind of yes that's how they yeah. were that conditional thing makes it makes a simulated noise of a bale of hay yeah, <laughs> the string being cut. <laughs> yeah, but obviously there is a problem that they keep getting. If the drone's battery runs out, they keep getting getting run down and eaten, do they? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, ag it's fascinating. It's brilliant. It's it's brilliant. There's yeah. Technology, opportunities for technology, machine learning. Um, thinking about some of the pack house technology, they're actually now able to spot green and rotten potatoes going in and, and onions mm -hmm. going into stores but they don't actually make it into the store they're sorting them out before they actually get in there so yeah there's great opportunities for computing engineers mm -hmm. for data scientists um probably one of the biggest complementary um occupations is probably uh something like a games computer programmer yeah um looking at that high-speed image processing where they're literally photographing every egg or every apple or that sort of thing going into store. So it's, it's brilliant. It is fascinating. Um, so going back to your specialist field of trading and education, um, we, we've been through quite a lot with COVID and we've got an awful lot of new technology available. Where do you see trading and education going? Um, I think we've all been pushed rapidly towards the zooms and the and the ms teams and the and the uh, the webexes i think there's probably still a place for that offline sort of remote learning probably um as as pre-learning to some as a preamble to some actual face-to-face -face training you can't be being actually face-to-face -to -face touching seeing the machines in real life or whatever it is you're working with in real life for training and education. Um, certainly here in, in my work, um, I will lay the seed of, of some science or some theory in a lecture situation. Then we'll actually go and see it in real life in the tutorial. So it's like we were talking about this application. So recently we were talking about hydraulic cylinders and uh, obviously you get, a greater force pushing an ex, uh, hydraulic cylinder out than you get on retraction. But looking at uh, a mini digger, a, three, a small 360 degree excavator, uh, the cylinder is actually mounted under the boom so you can push the cylinder out so you'll get in maximum force. But if you take a backhoe on that traditional um, JCB that you get stuck behind on the road as you're traveling to and from work, they actually put the cylinder above the boom. So they're actually lifting the cylinder on the side of the, sorry, they're lifting the boom using the cylinder on retraction where you get the less force. So it's the implications of, of that on the design of the, 
implement, etc. So we maybe have to stack the pressure up or go for a bigger cylinder because without seeing it, you don't always necessarily appreciate um, what the science is trying to tell you. Or maybe just me trying to tell them stuff in, in, in my Lancastrian manner. It's a great um, manner, Graham. It's a great <laughs> manner. <laughs> and that's, not uh, at all. No, and I, I think you, you can't be face-to-face learning. Learning is a, a social activity. Yes. Um, and if you look at the sciences, so we've got the natural sciences in which engineering fits. Um, education actually sits in the social sciences. And as a person who is currently undertaking my master's in education, social science has been very hard work because in engineering, if it ain't broke, you ain't trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, or if it's a sheep or something like that, it's either alive or dead or escaped. Um, in the natural sciences, whereas in social science, everybody's right. There's no wrong. It's just varying shades of, of, of correctness or, or rightness. Mm. So it's, it's really difficult difficult for a structured binary mind which has spent its yeah. life taking a series of <laughs> yes and no decisions so to have a shade of gray is a different yeah. matter and it's not yeah. even a shade of gray is it no it's just a, it's just a, 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 a different answer that somebody believes is correct and and they may well be correct in their world other people yeah. will challenge that or agree with it all grays are equal <laughs> All answers are equal. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell your students that. No. <laughs> don't tell your students that. Um, well, look, Greg, this has been absolutely fascinating. I really, really appreciate your time today to take us through this. You've given us a great insight into your world and some of the things you're working on and you know the, the, the steps you've taken on your journey thus far. The, the deeply unfair final, final question, obviously, is tell us your favourite record. My favourite record has got to be the Chippy Tea by the Lancashire Hot Pots. Uh, you don't have to sing it. As, la- as the recording day is a Friday. Yeah, no, no, it's appropriate, yes. Tea. Yeah, it is Chippy <laughs> Tea. Um, um, you know, what I should do at this point is perhaps ask you, what are you having for your tea, Graham? <laughs> I'd love to say fish and chips, but he isn't. <laughs> oh, well. Is it with oh, a, so, so with a slight tinge of sadness, the podcast draws to a close with that kind of bittersweet <laughs> moment where we've all got excited because it is Friday, but it's not a chippy tea. Mm. No. There you oh, go. And on that sad note, um, you have been listening to Senior Lecturer in Agricultural Engineering from Harper Adams University, Mr. Graham Higginson, um, in conversation with myself, Andy Newbold, Editor of Landwards. Thank you very much, Graham. It's been great. Thank you very much, Andy. You're very welcome. And we will be back with another hopefully interesting, exciting and scintillating podcast in due course. So it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you very much. For more information, visit www.iagri.org. You have been listening to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers.